You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. And coming up, we're going to preview this Sunday afternoon's game against the Giants up in New York with Ed Valentine. He's an editor and writer for the Giants SB Nation site, Big Blue View. We're going to talk to him about what the Giants have been doing so far this year, an up-and-down season for New York, but still holding on to one of those wild-card spots in the NFC, uh, but tenuously coming off a tie to to the Washington Commanders last week. So we'll talk to him about what it feels like to come off that tie, uh, what's been going on with the Giants, the offense, the defense, matchups to watch, all that good stuff ahead of this Sunday's matchup. A big matchup, both for the Eagles and the Giants on Sunday afternoon. Uh, then a little bit later on in the podcast, I'll look at the NFC playoff picture and the strength of schedule down the stretch for the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Vikings, and the 49ers as they are all racing for the top spots in the NFC. And I'll give you my prediction for Sunday afternoon as well. All that coming up here on this edition of Eye on the Enemy. But first, just a reminder to continue to read BleedingGreenNation.com each and every day for the latest news, notes, and rumors of your football team. And check out all of the other fine podcasts we have for you here at the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. And leave a rating and a review for Eye on the Enemy. If you leave a review, you. Let me know what you think of the show, uh, and if you have a question you want to ask, uh, I will read it on the air, and uh, and we'll talk about it and see what you have to say about Eye on the Enemy and what it is you have to ask about the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, the Giants were frisky early in the season. They've stumbled on some hard times over these last few weeks, uh, culminating with a 20-20 to tie with the Washington Commanders last Sunday, a very unsatisfying result. Nobody likes a tie. It never, never pleases anybody, I mean, unless you need a, a win or a tie to make the playoffs. Uh, ties are, are, are something that are just... Uh, uh, not not one of those things you, you want to see at the end of a, of a football game. But uh, that's what we saw with the Giants and Commanders last week. And uh, they are an interesting football team as they are struggling to keep their heads above water in the NFC playoff picture. Uh, this is a, a long time coming for these two teams to face each other this season, late in the season uh, for their first matchup. And joining me to break down this Sunday's game between the Birds and the Giants is our good buddy, Ed Valentine. He's an editor and writer for the Giants SB Nation site, Big Blue View. You can follow them on Twitter at Big Blue View. Ed, welcome back to Eye on the Enemy, buddy. How are you? Good, John. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me back. It's always a pleasure, bud. You you give us some of the best insight on the Giants out there. And um, this is a very interesting team. I think a month ago, Eagles fans would have been more nervous about this game on Sunday afternoon. But we've seen the Giants take a little bit of a slide. I mentioned that they're 1-3-1 and one in their last five games. Uh, they tied Washington last week. Although uh, Washington looked like they were going to dominate that game early, and the Giants fought their way back. So maybe, maybe you walk away from that game feeling a little better about the tie than perhaps Washington fans did. I would imagine that's probably true. But what's the vibe right now after tying Washington and the Giants being the team that's maintaining that hold on a tenuous wildcard berth right now rather than Washington. Well, 
I have a couple things to say about that. First of all, a month ago, I think Giants fans would have been more excited about this game than they are right now. A month ago, and the Commanders wrecked the whole grand plan. You have to understand, the Commanders wrecked everything by beating the Eagles <laughs> a few weeks ago because the grand plan and the grand prediction was get to week 14 and the Giants hand the Eagles their first loss of the season. That was uh, okay. that that was the that was the grand plan and Washington wrecked everything. So gotcha. So but the reality of it is I talked to some of the Giants players on Sunday after that game against Washington and and they felt like that game was a loss. Honestly, mm-hmm. they they felt like they had lost that game. They didn't know quite how to react to a tie. And the reality is when you look at the Giants and their playoff position, the tie was more favorable, at least in the short term, for the Giants than it was for the Commanders. But the Giants have the Commanders again next week. And, okay. right. the, and the reality of it is the Commanders have a bye this week. Washington gets three solid weeks to worry about the Giants and only the Giants, and they get to be home next week in a game that basically it's not exactly winner-take-all for a playoff spot, but whichever team whichever team wins that game is going to have a huge leg up on a playoff spot. So it's really the way it sets up. It's, it's big-time advantage for the Commanders. So Sunday's game, last Sunday against Washington, the tie has to be looked at as a disappointment for the Giants because it was a real opportunity for them to to get a leg up in the playoff race. And and they had opportunities to win that game, and and it just sort of of slipped away from them. It was one of those games where they, they had a lead and they just couldn't do what they needed to do to put it away. I will say, and I hear all that, and I, I think that's all very true. You have those opportunities in front of you to give yourself a more stable footing in terms of a playoff spot, and you're not able to get it done. But no one thought the Giants would even be in the position of talking about the postseason, talking about a playoff berth. I remember when you and I spoke before the season, and we were talking about this Giants team, and neither of us really saw this team being a winning team this year. But we did talk about the potential for, and I asked the question about, you know, hey, could the Giants make in a 2021 Eagles-like jump? You know, be a team that went from four wins to a team that can win a wild card and, you know, have a little fun playing and playing in the postseason. And I think we both poo-pooed it a little bit, but here they are. They're they're doing exactly that. They're they're having a 2021 Eagles-like jump and. I think I would imagine a lot of this, a lot of the credit has to go to the new coaching staff, what head coach Brian Dayball is doing up in New York. What has he been doing to turn things around? Why is this team different than the teams we've seen the previous, the previous seasons? Well, the biggest thing that Brian Dayball has done, especially through the first seven games when the Giants were, were six and one, the biggest thing that Brian Dayball has done, and I think we, we saw it right away, week one against the Tennessee Titans. Giants come back from, I, if I remember correctly, it was a 10-point deficit. I think they come back, they get within a point with a touchdown in the last minute or so of the game, 
And Dable says, the heck with the tie. The heck with the tie. We're going to go try to win the game. And they get the two-point conversion to go ahead. Randy Bullock of Tennessee misses a 47-yard field goal at the end of the game that would have won the game for Tennessee. But the statement was made right there, basically, that, that the Giants were going to believe in their players. They were going to, to try to play with a little bit of confidence. They were going to try to win games. They weren't going to, as I believe they did so often in the last two years with Joe Judge, they weren't going to simply play to try not to embarrass themselves. They were going yeah. to try to win football games. I, I I do believe that if I had a criticism of the Joe Judge era, as I look back on it now, I think that that Joe Judge and that coaching staff didn't have full belief or full confidence in the players that they had. And I think too often just tried to play in a manner where the final score wouldn't be embarrassing. I think yeah, that's, I mean, that's real. That's just really different with Brian Dable. He has quite often expressed confidence and belief in these players, and he's quite often shown it as well. What's what's there? I mean, the other side of that coin is like if you're if you're Joe Judge and you've got a Giants team that you're you're not expecting a whole lot from. What's what's there to lose from being aggressive? You know, I mean, you're the, you don't have any real pressure to win. And even with Brian Dable, there's no pressure on him to win this year. This is this is supposed to be a, a rebuilding year, not even a bridge year, a rebuilding year to kind of get your feet under you and figure out what you've got in Daniel Jones. It makes total sense to me that that's the time you would be aggressive and, and push your players, show confidence in them. And at the same time, you also get to kind of see what they're made of a little bit. So I, I think you're right. I think that's that's a. It's it's a great thing that he did that. It shows a different mentality, and um, but it also seems like a no brainer to me. Also, it does, and you would think that coaches would be would be like that, you know, John. One of the things, and, and as a as a guy covering the Giants, I've been through a lot of different coaching staffs in recent years. I've been through Ben McAdoo, and I've been through Pat Shermer, and I've been through Joe Judge, and you know, before that, I was around when when Tom Coughlin was the Giants head coach. One of the things that coaches, and I'm sure you hear it in Philadelphia all the time, one of the things that coaches say all the time is it's about players. It's not about plays. We want to put players in the best positions to succeed. We want to use them to their strengths and all of that. And the reality of it is probably – most coaches, more coaches than not, don't do that. More coaches yeah. than not have a system, have a scheme, have a way that they want to do things. And they do it that way, regardless of whether they have the players they want or not. And if it if it doesn't work, they just look at the general manager and say, well, you didn't give me the right players. Yeah. And, and, and to their credit, what Brian Dable, what offensive coordinator Mike Kafka, what defensive coordinator Wink Martindale have done is they have looked at this team and say, okay, this is what we have. This is what we don't have. This is what we can do. This is what we can't do. Brian Dable and Mike Kafka come from incredibly creative, high-flying, wide-open offensive systems in Buffalo 
and in Kansas City. And when you watch the Giants play, that's not the way they play offense. Yeah, They're not trying to force something that they don't have the personnel to do. To their credit, they have looked at what they have and used what they have the best way they think, you know, the the way that they think it will succeed. And, and to me, that's too many coaches don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I think you have in Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, that's that seems to be what you're focusing on and Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, their, their biggest advantages is really running the football. I, I would imagine. I mean, and Daniel Jones is the guy I want to talk about first. I know Saquon has um, really been the, the star of the offense uh, for most of this season. I want to get to him in just a second, but uh, Daniel, this is supposed to be a referendum on Daniel Jones this year. This is the year he's supposed to show the coaching, the new coaching staff, whether or not he is the guy moving forward or whether or not uh, they need to spend draft capital or they need to be looking in the free agent market or in the trade market this offseason to, to make a change at quarterback. He's got a 66% completion rate. He's an 11 to 4 touchdown to interception ratio. He's got 522 rushing yards this year, which may be a surprise to Eagles fans. I think we all know that he can run the football, but I was surprised by that amount. Um, has he earned the trust of the fan base and the franchise this year with how he has played and how have they used him this season? John, as usual with Daniel Jones, you have you have detractors, you have people that are that are happy with what he's doing, you have people on both sides of the fence. As usual with Daniel Jones, you can look at it and say, well, how do you truly judge what Daniel Jones is when the best wide receiver on the Giants is Darius Slayton? When their offensive line has been a revolving door, when they have one really quality, one actual NFL tight end on the roster. So, And when they've run a passing attack because of that, that has been very cautious because they just don't, they don't because of the interior of their offensive line, they don't give him a ton of time. They don't have wide receivers that can make big plays in general. They're, they're among the league leaders in dropped passes. So once again, you can look at that and say, well, you're not judging J Daniel Jones when he's when he's got a full deck around him, when he's got a a supporting cast like Jalen Hurts does. But that said, with what the Giants have asked Daniel Jones to do, in my view, he has played very, very well. If you look at the turnover statistics, he's thrown four interceptions all year. He threw two of those in one game. One of those interceptions was a Hail Mary that he threw another interception was a perfectly placed ball where the wide receiver fell down. So, so he's taken good care of the football when he's had to throw it. His fumbles are way down from where they've been in previous years. So he's protecting the football. The giants consistently praise his decision-making. They've really leaned into his ability to run the football but again, you look at the Giants offense and they don't make explosive plays. They don't they don't make big plays. They don't put up big passing yards. So you look at it and you say, he's playing really well, 
but they're still not good enough on offense. So it's still an interesting decision at the end of the year, whether they move on from him or whether they they try to sign him to a short-term deal and, and, and push that decision off. Looking specifically at this game on Sunday, do you see them attacking the Eagles the same way Washington tried to attack the Eagles when, when they beat Philadelphia? Ball control, uh, you know, four yards at a time, five yards at a time, a lot of running the football. Is that is that kind of what we should be expecting, uh, a replication of that effort? John, I think they have to play that way. That is the way that they have played for the most part for 12 games. They are last in the league in explosive passing plays in in downfield pl- passing plays and they're last in that category by a lot the when they were when they were 6 and 1 they were winning games by running the football controlling the clock controlling the pace of games keeping the score down in the 20s you know around 20 24 points keeping the score down and making plays late, trying to create a turnover late. I think uh, in their first seven games, all of those games were decided by a touchdown or less. And I think they've only had two games all year decided by, by, by more than one score. So that's been their formula all year. That said, I think they'll, they'll look for an opportunity here and there to take a deep shot, but it's, but it's not a priority. Their priority is going to be grinding it out, trying to take care of the ball, trying to keep trying to keep the off the Eagles' offense off the field, trying to keep the game in the twenties where they have a chance. They haven't scored thirty points in a game all year, so for me, that's the way they have to play. the The Washington blueprint is the one they have to follow. Real quick, last thing on the offense, uh, talk about Saquon Barkley. I know he appeared on the injury report this week, and uh, there's no doubt his production has taken a dip the last three weeks. He rushed for 22 yards in Week 10, 39 yards in Week 11, and 63 yards last week against Washington. Uh, He played against Dallas and Washington, who have very good run defenses, and the Eagles have struggled against the run for much of the year, although they were very good last week against Derrick Henry, the additions of Linval Joseph, Jordan Davis coming back and being another week healthier, and Dominican Sue in the middle of the lineup, Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox. The, the run defense and the linebackers were playing a lot better, a lot more downhill uh, in the game against Tennessee. Can the Giants move the ball like you're talking about you know are do they do they have to put the ball in the air somewhat in order to get the eagles out of to keep the eagles from doing what they did to derrick henry last week i mean the the eagles essentially told the titans passing game go ahead try it and they did they couldn't do it well the first thing i'll say is look it's really nice when you have the ability in the middle of the season to just go out and sign every pro bowl (laughs) free agent defensive (laughs) tackle on the planet that's really nice to be able to do that yeah but the issue in in talking about Barkley, there there are a couple of issues. The Giants, through the first seven weeks of the season, were able to start the same offensive line through all seven games. Since that time, they had two injuries on the offensive line in Week Seven against Jacksonville. Since that game, they have started a different offensive line every week, and, and that makes run blocking 
very difficult when you don't know who's going to be playing next to you on a given week. This week, if John Feliciano starts at center and Nick Gates starts at left guard, be the first time since week seven that they've had the same offensive line in back-to-back weeks. So maybe that'll help a little bit. But the concern that I have with Saquon Barkley through the first part of the season, he was fantastic. I don't know if he's worn down a little bit, but if you look at, you know, Barkley's a, always been a home run machine. The concern that I have with him is when you look at yards after contact, when you look at broken tackles, when you look at missed tackles forced, Barkley's nowhere near the league leaders in any of those categories, which means mm-hmm. he's not creating the kind of yardage on his own that that maybe Barkley did in his first and second year in his career. And that that's a concern for me is is just, you know, sometimes you, you get to the second level. If you can get him to the second level, you expect him to make a big play. And and is he making those? He hasn't gotten to the second level a whole lot lately, but but running backs have to do some of it on their own. And, and the statistics tell us that Saquon's not doing that this year as well as a lot of other running backs are. So, so he wasn't doing it early in the season? What's the difference, I guess, what I mean between early in the season when he was piling up a bunch of yards in, in these last few weeks? I, I think the difference is the run blocking, to be honest okay. with you. And, and I, I think that, uh, that, that the, the fact that the Giants lost two offensive linemen and they lost Daniel Bellinger, who's their starting tight end, what the Giants had done until last week when they got a couple of their players back they had been forced to go to jumbo tight end packages that went to the extreme of playing eight offensive linemen at a time. And if you're going to play eight offensive linemen at a time, that means you have one receiver in the game and you're sort of screaming from the mountaintop that you're running the football. And, uh, and that's just not going to work very often. I think that teams have done a good job crowding the line of scrimmage. I think they've done a better job in recent weeks taking some of the zone read stuff away from the Giants. I think we talked to Mike Kafka, the offensive coordinator, this week. I think the Giants need to sort of re-examine maybe the way that they're running the football. And you know, NFL people and analysts like to call it eye candy. I think they need to throw some different looks at defenses and, and get into their running game in some different ways. But uh, but they haven't been nearly as effective in creating any any space to run in the last few weeks. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to flip the script and we're going to talk about the Eagles' uh, offense against the Giants' defense. We'll do that coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back here on Eye on the Enemy talking to Ed Valentine from Big Blue View. And uh, now let's take a look at what uh, the Eagles defense or what the Eagles offense can do against the Giants defense. And, um, you know, looking at this Giants defense, I think it's hard to see any team having an advantage over the Eagles offensive line. Pretty much every defensive line that goes up against the, the Birds O-line is is going to be in a disadvantage. It's just how good the Eagles offensive line is. And I, I guess what's what's got to be really difficult for a defensive coordinator right now, Ed, is we've seen the Eagles win every different kind of way you can win offensively. They have success running the football with their running backs. Uh, they've had success where they run with the quarterback for a majority of the game. Then they have weeks like last week where they just say, all right, you're going to stop the run? Cool. We'll throw for 380 yards, 400 yards. I know the Giants, they love to blitz more than any team in the league. So do you anticipate more of the same on Sunday from the Giants? And and how is that going to manifest itself based on how the Eagles decide to go about scoring their points this week? Because it almost seems like the Eagles can choose what to do. Well, look, Wink Martindale, Giants defensive coordinator. Wink Martindale is Wink Martindale. And I guess the way we put it is Wink is going to Wink. All right. He he believes in he believes in the blitz. He said the other day, he said, I will never turn down a free runner to the quarterback. And he believes in the blitz. His philosophy is pressure breaks pipes. He is going to send extra rushers. When he doesn't send extra rushers, he's still going to a lot of the time put five and six and seven and eight guys up at the line of scrimmage and try to make the Eagles figure out which four guys are coming. Okay. And everybody yeah. else is going to drop back. He's so it's, it's zone blitz. It's, it's put, put eight guys up there and try to make them take a, take a guess at which four guys are going to rush. He is, he lives to try to confuse quarterbacks and confuse protection schemes. And that's, that's just what he does. And, and the question always is, do the Giants have enough in the secondary to, uh, to, to complement that, to handle the fact that he's asking his cornerbacks to play man coverage, to play one-on-one? The Giants are not helped at all by the fact that, that Xavier McKinney suffered a serious hand injury during the bye week in an apparent ATV accident in Cabo where, you know, God knows we could talk about that all day, but you know, that was a self-inflicted injury. Dory Jackson, who's their best cornerback is out maybe for the rest of the season because he, he hurt his knee returning a punt, which is another sort of self-inflicted wound on the giants, but they're not helped at all by the loss of those two guys but they're going to play the way they're going to play. The question for me, the thing that I fear most, to be honest with you, is that the Giants have struggled mightily to defend the run all year long. They've mm. and they're they're toward the bottom of the league in in yards allowed per rushing attempt, and it if they cannot obviously if they cannot at least compete with the Eagles and put them in some situations 
where it's obvious that they have to throw the football, then it's going to be a very, very long day. Which defensive players uh, should the Eagles real should Eagles fans really be keeping an eye on here uh, on Sunday afternoon? Well, there are three in the front seven. Dexter Lawrence is not getting any love in the Pro Bowl voting. All right, but Dexter Lawrence is having an All Pro caliber season. He's having the best season of his career. He's he's been absolutely phenomenal. He's a 345-pound man who plays almost every snap. He has been – I talked to him in training camp, and he said that his goal – he didn't care about numbers. He didn't care about statistics. His goal was to wreck games. And if he plays on Sunday the way that he's played most of the season, Jalen Hurts will spend a lot of time running away from him. Um the other two guys to watch are Kayvon Thibodeau, rookie edge rusher, number five overall pick. Thibodeau doesn't have big numbers, but Thibodeau has increasingly been a force coming off the edge. He's He had a, a huge sack the other day in, in the game against Washington, and he always seems to be buzzing around the quarterback or buzzing around the running back. He always seems to be in the backfield somewhere. The other one is Aziz Ojolari, the, the second-year edge rusher on the other side. Ojolari missed a lot of time earlier in the season with a quad injury, came back Sunday against the against the commanders, had a huge strip sack fumble that, that gave the Giants a big touchdown. Those two edge rushers are, are guys who really give Giants fans a lot of hope for their pass rush for the future. So, so those three guys are the ones that, that I really look at on the defensive side. All right. So that's who to keep an eye out for here. The one thing we haven't talked about yet is one of the other uh, big storylines, but uh, you won't hear much about it from the Eagles side of it. James Bradbury, who the Giants uh, traded away to, oh no, he was released by the Giants. Was he, I, now I'm not forgetting. He wasn't traded to the Eagles. He was released by, yeah, that's right. He was released by the Giants. The Eagles pick him up uh, as a as a free agent uh, this offseason. And he has been one of the best cornerbacks in the, in the NFL. You look at pass breakups, you look at quarterback rating allowed. James Bradbury, I think, is number two in, in both of those different scenarios. He ha- he has helped transform this Eagles passing defense, this secondary. You can leave Darius Slay and you can leave James Bradbury out there almost singled up on, on the two best wide receivers another team has to throw at you. And that allows Jonathan Gannon to do a whole lot of different things on defense. Uh, he has not been talking much about the Giants, so he's not he's a kind of a quiet guy, so he's not talking this up like A.J. Brown did last week against the Titans. But no doubt, uh, I would imagine James Bradbury is looking forward to this game. And no one in Philadelphia, and I guess ma- many people around the NFL, can't understand why the Giants let him go. Uh, any how how much first of all I mean I think it's a stupid question to ask how much have the Giants missed him on defense but how how are the Giants uh, re responding reacting dealing with uh, James Bradbury's return to New York this Sunday? Well, it's more of a media story than it is anything else, John. The reality of it is, the Giants when Joe Shane became general manager and Brian Dable became head coach, they were left with a, an absolute salary cap disaster by Dave Gettleman. And they they looked at it. They Joe Shane made as many moves as he could 
in the offseason to uh, to try to alleviate some of that salary cap mess. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but when push came to shove, they didn't want to release James Bradbury. They really had no choice because I think it was a about a $13 million um I think they got about $13 million in salary cap relief by releasing James Bradbury. And they weren't going to get through the season without that money. They Mm -hmm. simply weren't going to get through the season without, without that $13 million that they, that they were able to get from letting Bradbury go. So it, it was a matter of being backed into a corner by what they by what Joe Shane was left with when he was hired if if the giants were in a healthy salary cap situation entering this season Bradbury would still be a giant hmm well i mean we're thankful that it didn't work out that way obviously because he has been a huge addition to this defense and i don't know i don't know that the eagles would have had the success this season that they have had without him he's been absolutely vital so uh as we look at this game well, Ed, i'll tell you, i'll tell you what when you win the super bowl then same send dave gettleman a ring <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. I, I have total control over that. That's absolutely what I will do. Um, as we look at this game here, Ed, uh, I nobody. I don't think I've seen anybody pick the Giants to win this game, although I think it's a seven-point line now. The Eagles are favored by seven in this, and uh, I think a lot of people there are split on whether or not the Eagles can cover because these two teams, generally speaking, play each other pretty tough, especially in New York. I'm expecting a close game on Sunday afternoon. This has a chance to be one of those kind of uh, down-and-dirty games against a divisional opponent, although we all thought the game against Tennessee last week was going to be really close here, uh, and it turned out not to be. The Eagles, I think, are playing their best football of the season at the moment. Uh, they're starting to get some of their players back, and so uh, we'll look to see whether or not Avante Maddox comes back in as the as the slot corner this week. But regardless, how are you seeing things shaking out on Sunday afternoon between the Eagles and the Giants? Well, I'm not foolish enough to pick the Giants to win, let's put it that way. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm picking the Eagles to win. I know that the the Giants are a hard-nosed bunch. They're a resilient bunch. They will give the Eagles their best effort. They will come with a good plan. Uh, They will come with with an idea of what they want to do. And I think the Giants will will put forth a good effort. In all honesty... I told uh, I told your cohort at Bleeding Green Nation the other day. I told Brandon Lee Gowton that mm-hmm. uh, that I would, if I was a betting man, I would take the Eagles and the I would take the Eagles to cover the spread as well. Simply because I yeah. think I think in the end I, I'm not predicting a blowout, but I think in the end the Giants are probably going to be forced, you know, in the end to to abandon that their their really cautious approach you, you know late in the game and when you do that a mistake of some sort inevitably happens and and, and I would guess that at some point in time there will come a, a fourth quarter play where the Eagles will will capitalize and and, and be able to to score enough points to uh, to cover that spread I, I like I think it'll be a representative game I think it'll be competitive but but in the end, I, I don't think the Giants. I just don't think they have enough talent across the board to uh, to, to win this game. To, um, unless the Eagles gift them, you know, fourteen points or so. 
Well, it'll be it'll be an interesting game. I think uh, a month ago, uh, Eagles fans were a lot more nervous about uh, having to face the Giants here in this uh, in this battle on Sunday afternoon. Uh, but the way the Eagles are playing and the way the Giants have played, I think uh, the fortunes may be heading in different directions for these two teams. And Eagles fans feeling a little bit better about it. But this is always a tough matchup against a divisional opponent. The Eagles need this game. I mean, they they have teams breathing down their necks for that top seed in the NFC, and the Giants need this game in order to keep their heads afloat at the bottom of the wild card standings and so um two teams that really need this win on sunday afternoon we'll see how it all shakes out folks make sure you're reading everything that the um folks at big blue view are writing over there so you can keep an eye on the enemy there check out ed valentine's work over there follow them on twitter at big blue view ed thanks for coming back on eye on the enemy buddy i appreciate it hey thanks for having me enjoy the game sunday but not too too much please all right, well, let's take a quick look at the NFC playoff picture as things stand here coming down over the last five weeks of the season. Uh, the Eagles right now sitting at 11-1, and putting them in a very good position. They have the number one seed and uh, would have the first round bye in the playoffs. That's a, essentially a two-game lead over the 10-2 and Vikings, thanks to the tiebreaker the Eagles earned with their 24-7 win over the Minnesota Vikings in Week 2 on uh, Sunday Night Football. And they have an actual two-game lead over the 9-3 and Cowboys. Boys, uh, with the San Francisco 49ers a little bit further down. Uh, they lost Jimmy Garoppolo for the season to a broken ankle, and so everybody's pinning their hopes to Brock Purdy, which I think is cute. Uh, you know, it's well, you know, look, Kyle Shanahan runs an offense that really focuses on running the football. There's not a lot of passing uh, that they're going to ask Brock Purdy to do, but at the same time, there's a reason Brock Purdy was the number three quarterback on this team. Uh, so I just don't anticipate the 49ers going on a deep postseason run, uh, running their number three quarterback out there in the postseason. But I guess stranger things have happened. So uh, as of now, the Eagles have a 75% chance of holding on to the number one seed, according to the New York Times playoff picture simulator, with the Cowboys and Vikings both at 12%. San Francisco is the only other team with any kind of a chance of holding that top spot at 2%. Now, uh, I wrote an article for BleedingGreenNation.com this week, kind of taking a look at the strength of schedule the rest of the way. And according to the website Tankathon, um, here's how things stand uh, for the rest of the season. The, the Eagles and the Cowboys are tied with a 508 opponent's winning percentage in terms of strength of schedule uh, the rest of the way. The Eagles have the Giants this week. They're 7-4-1. and one. Uh, Then they go to Chicago. They're on the road the next three weeks, the Eagles are. So uh, the Eagles haven't lost uh, a road game yet this year. They're 5-0 and oh on the road, but uh, they're going to test that over these next three weeks. The Giants at 7-4-1 and one this Sunday. Uh, the following Sunday, they go into Chicago to take on a Bears team that's three and ten but uh playing a little bit better uh with justin fields running the football a little bit more and then of course the big matchup on christmas eve at dallas against the cowboys who are currently at nine and three would love to see the cowboys lose a game between now and then this week or next week but not optimistic that's going to happen uh the eagles finish up with a home game against the saints in the second to last week of the season on january 1st the saints are four and eight and the giants uh, will come to philadelphia they're seven four and one of course uh and that game might mean something for both of those teams i wasn't sure if it would but uh we'll see how it all shakes out but uh that uh remaining 508 winning percentage is uh let's see it's one two three four five six seventh uh, tied for sixth hardest among NFC teams, again, with the Dallas Cowboys. So at least the Cowboys don't have a super easy schedule uh, the rest of the way. 
After the Christmas Eve ma- Christmas Eve matchup, things should get easier. Uh, you'd like to think the Eagles can run the table here, but if they go four and one, they'd finish fifteen and two and finish with the best record in the NFC. Even even if they lose that game to the Cowboys, if that's the only game they lose the rest of the way, they will still finish with the number one seed. A three and two finish with one of those losses being to the Cowboys, going fourteen and three. That's when it starts to get a little dicey. We look at the Cowboys' remaining strength of schedule. They are not losing to the Houston Texans at home on Sunday. The Texans come in at 1-10-1. But then they have to go to Jacksonville to play the 4-8 Jaguars on December 18th. That's probably as difficult a game as the Eagles going into Chicago. Maybe a little bit more difficult going against Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence. Uh, The Jacksonville Jaguars coming off an encouraging win uh, last week and um, feeling themselves a little bit. We'll see if uh, the Jaguars can keep that momentum going this week. But they have to host the Cowboys in a couple of weeks. Would love to see the Cowboys drop that game before the Christmas Eve Eve matchup against the Eagles. Uh, Then here's where it gets tricky for Dallas. On a short week... They have to play Thursday night football in Tennessee against the 7-5 and five Titans, a Tennessee team that will be fighting for playoff positioning at that point. They'll probably have sewn up the AFC South, but the Tennessee Titans are better than what we saw in Philadelphia on Sunday. The Cowboys will be favored to win that game, but that's a tough task coming off that Eagles game on Christmas Eve and then on a short week you got to figure they're not going to be doing much on Christmas Day that Sunday. You've got to go into Tennessee. It's not quite as short as it would be. It's not Sunday to Thursday. It's Saturday to Thursday. But, again, Sunday is Christmas Day. They're going to be traveling Christmas Eve, coming home Christmas Day, trying to spend time with their families, and then having to head out on a short week. That's not an easy task. And then they finish in Washington against the Commanders the final week of the season. That's a 7-5-1 Washington team right now that will likely be fighting for a playoff spot unless Washington... Washington goes in the tank. That's not an easy finish the last two weeks. I would say the Cowboys have a much more difficult finish in the last two weeks of the season than the Eagles do. So again, the Eagles can lose that Christmas Eve game against Dallas and still be okay as long as they don't lose the rest of their games. Uh, I think Dallas's final three weeks are harder than the Eagles' final three weeks. Looking at the 49ers, their remaining strength of schedule, opponents have a 475 combined winning percentage, but again, they've got to do this with their third-string quarterback. They're hosting Tampa Bay this week at 6-6. Six and six. Tampa Bay coming off a, a comeback win, and Tampa needs to keep winning in order to win the NFC South. Then they have a short week. They have to go to Seattle for a Thursday night game against the 7-5 and five Seahawks in a game that will probably determine the NFC West. Uh, then they host Washington on, on Christmas Eve, the Washington Commanders at 7-5-1. and one. Uh, And then they finish up with two easy games against Las Vegas on the road and hosting the Arizona Cardinals. But again, you're doing this with your third-string quarterback. And the next three weeks pose quite a challenge, three potential playoff teams with your third-string quarterback. And then looking at the Minnesota Vikings, they have one of the easiest strengths of schedule. In fact, it's the easiest in the conference the rest of the way. 397 winning percentage. Although I do think this week's game in Detroit against the Lions is going to be a tough one. The two worst defenses in the NFL, the Vikings and the Lions, according to um, according to DVOA going at it, um, that could be a, that should be a high-scoring affair, and Detroit could very easily win that game. I think if you're looking for a game for the Vikings to drop, it's this week in Detroit. Because after that, they host the Colts at 4-8-1. and Then they also host the Giants at 7-4-1 and on Christmas Eve. Who knows? what the Giants are going to be at that point. Then they have to go to Green Bay, and going into Green Bay is is never easy, but we'll see if it's against Jordan Love or Aaron Rodgers. Um, 
I do think the Vikings would win that game, although it's conceivable they could lose to the Packers in Green Bay, even though the Packers season is essentially over. And then they finish up in Chicago last week of the season. That should be an easy win for the Vikings. So again, the Eagles have what's essentially a two-game lead over the Vikings thanks to that tiebreaker. So I do think the Vikings could finish the season 5-0 and and end up 15-2, and meaning the Eagles could afford to lose no more than one of their final five games in order to maintain the number one seed. The bottom line is if the Eagles go 4-1 and over the last five games, uh, they will keep that top seed. But they lose two, then they're going to need a little bit of help from the Vikings and or the Cowboys in order to hold on to that top spot. And that is very important, being able to skip that wild card round and go right to the divisional round, uh, having home field advantage throughout the playoffs. You want that home field against Dallas, and you want that home field against potentially... Minnesota and San Francisco and anybody else uh, that you might have to face in the postseason. All right, this Sunday afternoon, I do think the Eagles win this game. I think it's inside the number. I I think it's going to be a six-point win for the Eagles. Uh, I don't think the Giants are going to be able to establish much offensively. Um, And, you know, I do think this Eagles offense is, you know, I say that and I don't, now I'm changing my mind. I just, I don't think the Giants are going to be able to do what the Commanders did to the Eagles. I don't think Saquon Barkley has a lot of juice left. And and like you heard Ed talking about, really Saquon has been benefiting from play by the offensive line and the offensive line has been struggling. They've been rotating different guys in and out. I think it's going to be very difficult for the Giants to score. I do worry about Daniel Jones' legs on the ground, him converting key third downs like Ryan Tannehill did early early in the game last week. But I, I don't see the Giants being able to stop the Eagles' offense. And I think we're going to see something similar to last week where the Eagles' offense just continues to churn out drives, uh, continues to figure out. They take the first quarter to figure out, well, gee, how are we going to beat this team this week? Are we going to do it running the ball? Are we going to do it passing the ball? And once they figure out what that is, they just hit the gas and, and off they go. And so until I see another team slow the Eagles down, I'm, I don't think the Giants will be able to do it. So I do think the Eagles uh, will cover the spread. Uh, I think this is going to be something along the lines of a 30-17 to win for the Eagles on Sunday afternoon. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks to Ed Valentine once again for coming on the podcast. Read BleedingGreenNation.com each and every day. Check out all the Bleeding Green Nation podcasts. And again, leave a review and a rating for Eye on the Enemy specifically on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed on Apple Podcasts. And if you have a question you want to ask or a comment, I will read it on the show. Thanks everybody for tuning in. I'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy. B-G-N.